Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. So one last time, I'm going to invite you to consider uh, taking that step that Jesus invites you and calls you to, which is to be baptized. If that's your story, if you've given your life to Jesus, it's time to go public with that to friends, family, and your community, your church family. And so if you'd like to do that, go to the website. We're going to have one more Exploring Baptism class. Uh, I'm hosting it. It'll be in my basement via Zoom. So I'll give the kids dinner with Hannah, and then I'll run down to the basement, and uh, we'll talk about what baptism is and what it's not. The information's on the website. Um, Even if you don't want to be baptized, you just want to see what's in my basement, you know? (laughs) Just sign up for that. (laughs) So uh, people ask me, um, you know, what I did before being a pastor, and I, I did some other stuff. I did, worked at a company here in town, did some marketing, did some digital stuff you know, marketing stuff. But I also, when I graduated college, it was the height of the Great Recession. Me and my, all my buddies were applying to Starbucks. And uh, I didn't get it, to be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't they, they, I'm not their type. But I did, I did do some stand-up comedy. I won some competitions. I traveled around, did some stand-up. And, and people ask, they ask me, they're like, were you good? And I'm like, well, I'm doing this. So no. <laughs> Everybody was like, look, please don't tell jokes, but why don't you teach about this ancient text on Sunday mornings while I take a nap when I have nothing else to do? <laughs> so that's what I do now. Um, but uh, I don't like to brag, but I love to brag. And I was, I was not good, but I wasn't bad. And what that means is, is I got to open for the headliners because they don't want someone that's bad, but you can't be good because then you, up, you upstage them. You don't want to do that. So you got to be average. And let me tell you, I was phenomenal. I was world-class at being average. I was above average, a rare find at being average. I was put on this earth to be the most average joke teller. Uh, hence all the you know, very mild chuckles right now. See how good, I'm really good at this. But one thing I learned in, in stand-up, and all seriousness, one thing you learn that they teach you if you study it is that um, what's, what's funny is tragedy. I mean, if you think about like, the stuff that you know, people laugh at and the jokes, if you could think of your favorite comedian, the jokes are like bad things that happen, a bad day that they have, a terrible situation that's just made worse, whatever it is, travel or, or trying to raise kids and all the difficulty and the pain of that. That's what makes people laugh. Um, and the reality is, is life is full of that stuff. And that's what, you know, we go to hear stand-up comedians talk about, all the self-deprecating jokes that are funny. But the reality is, is most of them, especially when they're happening, are not funny. They are hard. They are painful. They are difficult. And as a church, you know, one thing that you can get, you can be confused by is that, yes, we sing songs about hope and joy and you know, that God won't fail us. But we have a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. We ought to have a theology and a grasp and even a, we ought to be willing to wade into the waters of pain and suffering as a church. And it's not comfortable. Look, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna try and hide it. I like to be liked. I, like, I struggle with that. 
I like to be someone that people want around. And the reality is, is when you're suffering, when you're going through pain, people avoid you. And it's not even you. It's just, they, it's hard and uncomfortable. And as a church, it can be hard to talk about this. And, and we're doing a whole month on it, but we got to because it's in the book. It's in the Bible and it's in our lives. And the reason this Bible is rated R, if you made a movie about it, isn't because God loves gratuitous violence and pain and suffering. It's because that's what life is. Life is not PG. Life is hard and it has pain and we're gonna talk about it. And so the way we're gonna do it is, is actually through a question that I don't hit print on any sermon until I can answer this question. And the question is this, what does the cross have to say about this, about this topic and this topic in particular of pain and suffering. And so today we're going to look at a passage in John chapter 11. It's a story about a man named Lazarus who dies. Spoiler alert, Jesus raised him from the dead. So I kind of ruined the ending for you. But, but um, it's a story about how he gets sick and he dies. And his two sisters, Mary and Martha, they come to Jesus and they ask him to help, to help with the situation, to help with the crisis. They do what you're supposed to do, that you're maybe doing right now, like going to church. You're supposed to go and ask God for help, and so you've done that. You're asking Jesus for help. That's what they do. And as we read this, it's, it was a lot in here. I'm going to have to skip around a little bit just to get it all in the service. There's a lot in this text, and we're only going to be able to pull a full thing, few things out. But it's really not a story about Mary or Martha or Lazarus. It's about, it's about you and me. And... and and I believe God wants to speak to you this morning through his word. That's how he speaks. We don't hear weird voices in our head. This is how he speaks, is by opening this book up and reading it and letting it talk to our circumstances through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just, I believe that this story is about your Lazarus that you've buried, that you've watched get sick and then, and then die. Maybe it's a hope, a dream, an expectation of how your life would be by now at whatever age or or how you, what kind of career you thought you'd have, what kind of story you'd have in your life. Whatever that is, we all have one of those, and we've buried it. It's, it this is a Lazarus that's in a tomb, and he's buried, and we don't often go back there. We don't often bring people there. It's a struggle. Maybe we just have given up trying to win, whatever it is. And if you can't think of one, you can certainly think of somebody you love who's dealing with this, who has buried something, so we're going to do it. I want you to read this almost over yourself. I'm going to read it over you. This is a story that, that made it into scripture because God wants to speak to you through it. So John chapter 11, we'll start in verse one. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That actually happens in chapter 12. But uh, John, with the insight of hindsight, puts it in there for us to know that she's, her story's not done. Doesn't, it doesn't end here, and neither does yours. So the sisters went, uh, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. I'll say it again. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, okay, what do you think is going to happen next? You think he, he just, John just tells us he's got this, Jesus has this love for them. He loves these people. And they've come to him in crisis, imminent death. So out of that love, he stays. Two more days, 
I mean, he just, we're not talking about like two more hours. Talking about a, a day, wake up, another day. You know, if you read the Bible fast, you miss this. This is a coordinating conjunction. It's, um, it's actually in the Greek as well. It's un is the conjunction. You, if you knew Greek, it would be in there. And it's, it's the word we translate therefore or so. So out of, out of a result of Jesus' love, in what universe does that make sense to any of us in here? That because Jesus loves these people who are in imminent crisis, they're, they're struggling, they're asking for help, he delays you ever, you ever uh, said this phrase, if God, if God really loved me, he would blank. If, God, if God's love, if Jesus loves me, he would or would not blank. Do you have margin? I mean, this is, this is, this is offensive to hear, but, but do you have margin for Jesus who, who allows something that is hard to get worse before he shows up. Some of you have, have recently started following Jesus. I'm meeting a lot of you. There's a lot of people in this church that are kind of new to this thing. It's kind, of a, it's, it's kind of an exciting time to be a part of this church. If you're new here and you're visiting, you're part of something special. God's doing something. I'm meeting people who are new. They're coming to faith, but they have pain in their life before they met Jesus. And I got to imagine that at some point they go, Jesus, if you really loved me, why didn't you intervene here? You know, why did you permit this? Why did you arrive after that in my life? Now, I mean, now we know each other. Now I have hope and now you're working in my life. But where were you when that happened? Why'd you delay? Well, what if, what if it's the same reason that he delayed with Mary and Martha? What if it is because? <laughs> what if it's because? He loved you. Does that, you think about the pain and the suffering. Because he loved me, he delayed. Well, if it's not making sense to you, we should probably keep reading. It didn't make sense to me when I first stumbled upon that. So what happens next is, we're gonna skip this next part. They, him and the disciples kind of get in a debate. The, the, the disciples don't really understand what's going on. They kind of tell Jesus, listen, if we go back to where Lazarus is, we're gonna get stoned. There's people there that don't like us. It was an open secret. It was very dangerous for Jesus to go back to where, he, where Lazarus was. It's extremely dangerous. In fact, it's so dangerous that it kind of, this whole little debate they have ends with Thomas saying, let's go die with Jesus. I mean, that's how certain they were and that this was dangerous. But we're gonna skip that, and then right after Thomas says, let's go die, let's, let's also go that we might die with him. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. 
And then she goes and she gets, she gets Mary. And then it says this, when Mary reached the place in verse 32 here, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said the same thing that Martha did. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, unlike with Martha, Jesus doesn't go into teaching mode. He actually does something different. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, Jesus, God, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he open the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took the stone away, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, uh, theologians debate. Um, they debate a lot of things. Uh, sometimes I wonder if they get bored. But they debate that during this time, and this, you know, this is some extra biblical history sources would suggest that there was this superstition that had permeated Jewish culture, not because of scripture, but because it was culturally superstitious that a spirit could return to a body before three days were up. But after three days, all bets are off. No dice. You're not coming back. That was a superstition. Again, it's not from scripture. That was a superstition. And some scholars suggest that maybe that's why Jesus was waiting till day four. That it was to, it was to allow there to be almost no hope beyond hope for this body to come back. But either way, what John is saying, the reason Jesus did it this way is there's a message this body is beyond dead. It is so dead, it is decaying. It is so dead, they locked it up in a tomb. It is dead beyond dead. It is hope beyond hope. There's no hope. And this is what it, a miracle of miracles could not bring Lazarus back. Jesus is attending two funerals. He's attending the funeral of Lazarus. And he's attending the funeral of Mary and Martha's expectations. Is there margin in, in your theology, in your, in your walk with God, for him to delay to the point past your expectations so they can expire, so that they can expire? You know, Jesus... Um, he is God. He has a say in every circumstance and every molecule and every atom. But he's God and you're not. And are, is there room for him to be God? This is a story about the glory, not of you or of man, but of God. And I will tell you, and this is, this is hard to hear, but it is true. And you know it. The glory of God is so glorious sometimes. So incredible. 
It's offensive. It's offensive to people. It's offensive even for people to hear about and to try to wrap their minds around. You gotta, listen to me. If you believe for a minute that somehow God went through the trouble of thinking about your life and putting on this, uh, you on this earth because his standard for what your life would be, what your story would be, would be explainable by human standards and get glory, like your own, your own glory, like people would think you're pretty incredible, you got pretty amazing grit, you're pretty hopeful and courageous and tenacious. If you thought for a minute that that was the purpose of your story, it's too small. No, no, your story's meant for people to look at your life and go, there's no way. There's no way unless there's a God. There's no way that person could be so forgiving, so loving, so filled with hope and courage based on all they've been through, based on all they know, there's no way they could be that way unless there's a God. That's how you have a story. That's how you have a life that gives glory to God, which means your story will include chapters that go beyond your expectations. And that can include chapters of suffering and pain. This is what I'm trying to say, I'm going to be concise here. Sometimes God needs to bring you to a place where you are depending on God alone so that he can do what only God can do. Proverbs 3, uh, I, I don't know if it, was this, if it was this service or the last service. Proverbs 3 talks about trusting the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understandings. You know why? Because one day you will encounter something where you are leaning on your understanding and you can't anymore. You don't understand it. Your understanding of Jesus's love is not what you're experiencing. Your understanding of Jesus's love is not a love that he would love you so much that he would delay not show up when you expect him to, not do it the way you thought he would do it. And let me just tell you, if you're leaning on your understanding and your expectations of Jesus' love, eventually they will fall away anyway. It's going to happen. No matter how long you follow Jesus, you cannot lean on your ability to judge his love based on what you see him do. You judge his love, you stand on it, as it is what he says, you stand on the word of God. That's your firm foundation. You trust in that he says he's loving, not your ability to interpret events. God loves you too much than to let your expectations of what he should do be the barrier of what he can do. So what's the... What's the message here? Jesus, he does love you in, in all chapters of your life, including the hard ones, even in the places where he works in a way that you would not expect. But he is, listen, he, he is for you, but his love for you is not a pampering. It is a, pers it is a perfecting love. It, it is gonna shape you, and it's gonna write a story that people will read one day, they will hear about, they will watch it and say, there's no way unless there's a God. And to do that, your expectations are too small. They're human. So you don't build your life on your ability to understand God's love. You build your life on the fact that he says he is love. That's what you stand on. That's firm. That's all you can stand on sometimes. And some of you have been to this place where your expectations expired and that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. But right there, that's where God wants to do something. Right there, he's right. now you're ready for him to do something with life.
But there's a second piece to this that's really important. Jesus wants to be with you in your place of pain. He doesn't just, he's not just for you, he wants to be with you. Um, Jesus asks Martha and Mary the same question he asks you this morning. He says, will you take me to that place? Will you take me to that place of pain? He asks him, where did you bury it? Where did you bury Lazarus? Do you have a mar- do you have margin in your walk with God for him to want to go to the place where you buried something? Maybe it was the idea of ever beating a struggle, ever getting past the addiction, ever, ever. You're never going to get over what happened in your first marriage. You're never going to get over where your career took. Like everything is now second best and that's it. And you've buried it. And Jesus is telling you this morning, he's telling you through this text, take me there, bring me to that place. I want to be there. And then what's fascinating is that he doesn't just go there callously. He shows up in that place and he cries, and he grieves. Jesus knows he is minutes away from a miracle, minutes away, and he's sobbing as though nothing's going to happen. Why is he crying like that? Because he loves you, because he knows the pain, because even if you don't, I mean, think about this. These women, Mary and Martha, they're not even happy with Jesus. Jesus is, he's not dumb. He knows how people are thinking about him. He knows that in that moment, they're not happy with his performance as a Lord. They're not happy. They're not not satisfied with Jesus' Jesus' abilities in this moment. They're, They're disappointed. They're frustrated. And that doesn't stop him from grieving with them. I promise you, if you go through pain at some point, you might get to this place where you want to shake your fist at Jesus, and then you wonder, does that disqualify you from receiving his empathy? Obviously not. These women were mad at him, and they still got a miracle because it doesn't depend on them. It doesn't depend on you. He loves you anyway. He's going to empathize with you. Before Jesus demonstrates his authority, he will do this right now. He will empathize with you. And maybe you're, you, have, you haven't left the room yet. That, that resurrected new life out of that area of death in your life has not come yet. But I promise you right now, before he does the miracle, he, you will start to hear. You will see the grief of a God who loves you and grieves when you grieve. He demonstrates his his. Uh, empathy for us. So what do we do with this? Well, Martha actually gives us a pretty good uh, template on what to do with this. When, when she meets Jesus, when she comes out to meet him, in verse 21, the first thing that she says is the word Lord. Did you hear this? Don't let your perspective, what Jesus does, change your view of who he still is. He's still Lord. He's still Lord. This is what you have to do. I'm telling you what you have to do. You want to get through this life? You want to you make it through all the suffering and pain and death you're going to experience? You have to walk into that place where you've buried it. And you say, Lord, you're still God here. You're still on the throne. You're still Lord. I don't understand any of this, but you are still in authority and you still have a say. You declare him as king. And then, you know what that looks like? Just to be very practical with you this morning. I'm not trying to be abstract. What it means is going into those places in your life where there's suffering and pain and loss and struggle and weakness and sickness and going in there and saying, listen, you're Lord, Lord. So whatever you say goes. Whatever you teach about this area of my life, I will do it. Whether I like it or not, I don't get to choose whether I like it or not. I'm just gonna do it. Because you're God. To bring Jesus into a place of pain in your life and not listen to what he teaches and be 
totally disobedient to what he says is to not bring him into that place because the real Jesus is God. And if you're going to bring God into a place of pain or disappointment, then he will tell you what to do and you will just salute like a good patriot and go take the hill and do it because he's God. You have to obey. That's what it is. He's God. He's in authority. So you bring him to that place and whatever he says, you do. He says to praise him and worship him in the middle of suffering. I don't want to do it, Lord, but I'll do it because you tell me to, because you're Lord. It says to be thankful somehow in suffering because it's doing a work in me. I don't want to be thankful in this suffering, but I will do it because you're Lord here. He says to bring people into the pain and into the suffering. I want to isolate. I don't want to be around people, but I will do it because you're Lord here now and whatever you say goes, I'm going to bring people into my struggle, into my pain. This is is participating. What I'm talking about is you're not doing the miracle. It's not about your works and obedience. It is about participating in the miracle that God's going to do. Check this out. Jesus shows up at the tomb, right? And what does he do? He asks the people to move the stone. In the economy of miracles, I have to believe that raising a dead person is way harder than miraculously just looking at a stone and moving it. I have to believe that. It's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, I want you to participate. I want you to move that stone. And they say, no, it's gonna smell bad. It's gonna be awkward. Jesus is going to ask you, do you, do you want a miracle in your life? Do you want a miracle in your place of pain? You need to obey. He's gonna tell you to do something. It will smell bad. It won't be convenient. It won't be easy. It won't be comfortable. Other people might struggle with it. But if Jesus says it, you do it. And I'm telling you, there's a miracle coming out of that tomb in your life. But he wants you to participate in the miracle. Move the stone. Move the stone in your life. When he asks you, when he teaches something about your area of your life, an unmet expectation, a dream, a hope. Some of you, it's a relationship. It's, it's you want to be married and you're not. And he teaches on what it is like to live holy sexuality and you won't do it. And he's telling you, move the stone. I'm going to do a miracle in your life, but I want you to participate in what I'm doing. Put him in authority. Put him in leadership. This is very practical stuff. This isn't just abstract. And then you need to pray like Martha. This is how she prays. And I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up on the stage because we're gonna close with a song. We're gonna actually practice this. And if you would, stand as you're able because I just need to preach this with you standing. This is just... I just really want you to, I want you to get this. I don't want this to just be words. This is words going into your, into your heart, not into your head, okay? The way that Mary talks to Jesus and addresses him, he's Lord, he's God, he's, he is in authority, but, he is, but she says this. Did you hear what she says in verse 22? She says, but I know that even now, even now, even right now, second service on Sunday, February 18th, will you pray that prayer? Will you say, Lord, I don't understand it. You're still in charge here. You're still the resurrection and you're the life and I stand on what you've said, but I know you are God and so even now you can do it. Even now you can heal. Even now you can bring death to this place in my life that I had buried a long time ago. Even now, today, it is still possible and if it doesn't happen today, I'm praying that prayer tomorrow because why? You're still God. He's still the resurrection. So even then, he can do it. This is what we're called to do in suffering. This is what we're, how we're called to pray, is you're still God. 
Even now you can do something. Even now you can bring something out of this. So what does the cross have to say about this? Well, the answer to that is um, actually in a section we did not read yet. Um, what happens next is, you know, they celebrate, you know, Lazarus is alive. He hasn't eaten in four days. They head off to Chick-fil-A. And that's where I would go if I hadn't eaten in four days, if I was dead. All that greasy food, why not? I've already, I've already died once. They head off. And what happens next is the Pharisees get together and this is where they decide. This is where they decide we're gonna kill Jesus. And Jesus knew it. In John chapter 11, verse 53, it says this. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Jesus knew this was gonna happen. See what Jesus does is he touches death, but he knows death is gonna touch him. He's not gonna be immune from it. Death is gonna come for him. And doing that act of bringing Lazarus out of the grave signed his death warrant. And he did that for you and me. And then he went for it on the cross. He took it. He died. And he died with God's wrath on his shoulders. He died a death that you and I will never know because our faith is in him. Because he made a way. He paid for our sin. He took our lives on his back and he made a way and we will not know death. You and I will be like Lazarus. He will call us out of our tomb. Death for us will be a door. We won't know death. We're going to skip death. For us, death is a door that opens into life unimaginable that you could not describe way past your expectations. The cross says Jesus is for you, he is with you, but he will replace you in the ultimate death. You're not going there. You're going to be called out just like Lazarus. You're going to be called out. Do you believe this, church? Do we believe this? Yes. Even now it's possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I want to pray. I want to, I want to pray on behalf of everybody here, Lord. I, I pray that they would have the courage to pray the way uh, the, the messenger did when he went to you, Jesus. The one you love is sick. Lord, the, the people you love are sick. The people you love have buried some things that they never thought they would see again. They've buried some hope. They buried some dreams. The people you love are here, Lord, and we're asking you, Lord, would you heal? Would you redeem? Would you restore? We'll move the stone away, Lord. Would you do it? Even now we know you can because you're God. Lord, even when we can't see it, be our vision, help us to see it. Take us out of the prison of pain. Give us the vision to see you, Lord, in everything, in all things. And we ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ and God's people said, amen, amen. Let's worship.